Hi, this is 5050, real estate podcast for the common man, where we talk about selling, buying, and investing in real estate. We aren't baffling you with BS. We're dazzling you with brilliance. We're not telling you how to become a millionaire. We are telling you stories, the truth, and the information no one is talking about. So sit back, listen, laugh, and enjoy 5050, real estate podcast for the common man. Hello, this is JD. Welcome to 5050 Real Estate Podcast. Real estate for the common man. Hey, I hope you guys had a great weekend. And um, I am uh, going to be talking about, which a lot of people have uh, asked me, you know, John, I haven't bought a home in quite a while. Thinking about maybe selling my home and buying a new one or I've never bought a home in my life and uh, I've talked to a mortgage company and they came up with some figure that I qualify for I have no idea how they came up with this As a matter of fact I think they're dreaming and uh, that's what a lot of times I get you know a lot of people they call up a mortgage company and they get pre-qualified. And pre-qualified, I always tell people, is kind of worthless. Because you can call up a mortgage company and say, Hi, I'm a multi-millionaire. I make $10,000 a day. I have $20 million in the bank. And I am debt-free. And they can say, Great, you can buy a home up to $30 million. And you could be unemployed, living in a van down by the river. So I always tell people um, getting pre-qualified is really worth what you have given the lender. And if you haven't given the lender all the information, the lender can only go by what you said. So what I'm going to do is get you pencil and piece of paper out because I am now going to give you a lesson on what you can actually qualify for. Now, this is not in any way going to guarantee that you can get a loan. It's just information so you can kind of see behind the scenes how mortgage companies actually qualify you. Now, I always tell people... um, you know, when you when you do this, be honest with yourself. Don't stretch the tr- truth. And I'm going to explain a little bit on uh, kind of the background and what they're thinking about when they ask you these questions. The first one is, are you self-employed? Now, if you're self-employed, you might be making $10,000 a month, let's say, but you only quit your job. Let's say you were a software engineer and uh, you uh, became a house painter, (laughs) okay, and you're just just knocking out of the park. You're making $10,000 a month being a house painter, but you've only painted houses for three months. Well, guess what? That income is totally worthless. 
And that's what really hurts self-employed people because they say, oh, I'm just, I'm just making a million dollars. I'm just doing really, really well. And then what happens is the mortgage company goes by that and then the mortgage company looks at your tax records and says, hey, wait a minute. You, you haven't been self-employed very long. Uh, we can't really use this because um, you really haven't even done a year's worth of taxes. So if you're self-employed, you need at least three years of tax returns. Now, here's what really kills a lot of people when they're self-employed, and I've seen this so many times. You know, let's just say, just for example... Let's say you're just doing really, really good and you're making $100,000 a year gross uh, painting houses, we'll just say. And But as a self-employed person, you want to write off everything. Your, your car, your paint, your, your materials, your office, your gas, your car insurance everything you can name. And let's say you have $80,000 worth of write-offs and you now get taxed on $20,000 net income, but you're really making $100,000. Well, here's what kills a lot of self-employed people because you want to save a ton of money on taxes. You write off business cards, advertising, everything you possibly can to get that net as low as you can. And in this case, you're making 100000 but you write off all this, the expenses and your taxable income is $20,000. But then when you go to a mortgage company, you tell that mortgage company, yeah, I make 100000 but then when they see your tax records and your ta- taxes, they say, well, no, you don't. You gross 100 but you you really make 20000 And then you can't qualify because your real income is only $20,000 a year, not $100,000 a year. So that just kills people who are self-employed. And like I said, if you are getting a commission uh, you need at least to be getting commission for about two to three years now there's an exception to this and I always tell people let's say you were uh, a painter we'll just say and you've been painting for 20 years and then all of a sudden you decided to open up your own paint shop well you're definitely experienced so they might want only maybe a year, maybe two years of your tax returns because you do have a lot of experience. But if you don't have any experience and you're just getting in a brand new career and you're just opening up your own painting and like I said, you never painted in your life, you're going to need at least three years of tax returns. Uh, the old days of, yeah, putting 20% down and doing a no-income verification, a long gone. You're probably 15 years too late. So that's one thing about uh, being self-employed. 
Uh, so let's say you have a legit job, you're doing really well, you're working as uh, uh, an, an engineer, I'm just saying. So you're doing really well. Well, what you want to put down is your gross income a year. Okay, you want to put down your gross income a year. Now, here's what's really interesting is because a lot of, let, let's say you just graduated college and you became a engineer for Martin Marietta and you only been on your job for five months. Well, a lot of people say they they want to see at least a year to two years in a career well that's that's there's an exception to it if you got a degree in the field that you were in so let's say you got a master's degree in engineering well your school becomes work experience so all they want to see is your degree and your um, records that show that you went to college to get an engineering degree and that you graduated with a degree and basically uh, you can get a loan. Now here's what's really interesting. You could be in college, be ready to graduate, be guaranteed a job as an engineer at Martin Marietta, never had any job experience at all and they can and you're guaranteed $100,000 once you graduate, and that's a guarantee, you can actually get a loan even though you haven't had a job because your college experience and your degree is work experience. But if, let's say you go to college and you're studying to be an engineer and you get an engineering degree and you become a painter, well, guess what? You're going to have to be on that job as a painter for maybe two to three years uh as an employee to because they want to make sure you just don't you know work for a few weeks and then quit and like I said if you're self-employed you need at least three years of tax returns so in this case let's say you make uh, I'm just saying you're an engineer you're making tons of money you put a hundred thousand dollars down now Let's say you you don't have a co-bar. Let's say a wife or husband that works. So we're just going to use this. If you have a husband that works or a wife that works, you can put their income down. So this is just for educational purposes. But let's say you have other income. And this is what kind of like kind of a stumbling block for a lot of people. Because let's say you go to the flea market every weekend and let's say you make you just you make an extra fifteen hundred dollars a weekend, and you go, "Wow, I'm making an extra fifteen hundred dollars a weekend," and uh, boy, there's fifty two weeks in a year, so boy, I, I'm I'm making an extra seventy eight thousand dollars a year, right? Let's say fifteen. 100 times 12, wait, 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 1500, okay, 1500, okay, times 52, uh, yeah, I'm making uh, $78,000, <laughs> $78,000 uh, a year selling stuff at the flea market, but you never, ever declare that income. Well, 
first of all, hopefully the IRS doesn't find out. But second of all, it's like that money never existed. So that's what a lot of people, if you don't declare it, it doesn't exist. And that's another thing that kills people because they, they say, well, I have this little side gig that's going and I'm making, might not be making 78000 Maybe you make an extra 15000 a year, but you never collect it. Maybe, maybe you roll it, roll it till, um, lawns uh doing the spring and uh you make a few bucks there but you never declare well if you don't declare it it doesn't exist and that's another thing that people do because you may you might make some good money on your regular job but then you might make some great money on your side gig but you don't count your side gig well guess what it's like it never existed so in this case let's say your other income uh, you, you really don't have a side gig, so we're going to say zero. If you do have a side gig and you do declare it, you've been doing it for two years, add that. So let's add the entire income. And in this case, you're working as an engineer making $100,000. You really don't have a side gig, so your total income is $100,000. I'm just using that as an, as an example, okay? So... Let's say you have a down payment. Uh, let's say you've been saving, and let's say you have twenty thousand dollars in the bank. Uh, that's quite a lot of money, but we're just we're just using this as an example. If you don't have twenty thousand dollars in the bank, don't get depressed, but just put down what your actual what you can come out uh, up with uh, uh, up with uh, for a down payment now. You're making some great money. You've got the down payment, but what's missing? Hey, your debts, okay? So let's now say you have a car payment. And let's say your car payment is $450 a month. And you have you know, 24 months left on the car. Let's say you're, you have a second car. Maybe your wife has it. Uh, but like I said, we're just doing this as if you are the only one buying it. But let's, if you do have a spouse or a wife uh, or husband, write down the second car payment. Now, let's say you have credit cards. Let, let's say you have five, six thousand, ten thousand dollars $6,000, $10,000 worth of credit cards. You put down $10,000, but... Remember, they only want to see your minimum monthly payment. So if if you look at $10,000, and let's say you have to pay uh, $500 a month um, on credit cards, uh, but you pay six or $700 a month, well, we're only going to put the minimum down for your credit cards. Now, let's say you have bank loans. Uh, you you went out, you bought a um, you bought a uh, camper uh, or something like that. Put down what your bank loans are. So in this case, let's say you don't really have a bank loan, but let's say you have student loans. Let's say you owe sixty thousand dollars in student loans, 
but your monthly payment is $150, okay? I'm, I'm just using this as an example. Let's say you have an overdraft loan. An overdraft loan, people really don't know what an overdraft loan is. Let's, let's say it's a checking account that when you don't have the money to cover the check, the bank will cover the check, but um, it's actually a loan until you pay it back. Um, that's an overdraft loan. Uh, we're, we're not going to say that you have that, but if you do, write down what your minimum payment might be. Uh, a lot of people don't have checking accounts that they can write checks out uh, that they can't cover. But some people do who have really, really good credit and they make really good incomes and they just write a check out and, you know, the next paycheck they just pay it off. So, But in this case, we're not going to say that. Okay, let's say you have alimony or child support payments. And, and let's say we're just going to use that as $500 a month. Uh, if you don't have child support or you don't have alimony, great. Um, let's say that you never bought a home or you have a home, but you co-signed on a home for your kids, your grandkids, your friends, or who else. If you co-signed on the home, you are responsible for that payment. Uh, so in this case, we're not going to say that you have another ownership in the home. But if you do, you're going to have to write that payment down a month. So many people don't because... Because they'll co-sign on a home for the grandkids or their children and so on. And then they want to go out and buy another home. And then they get a mortgage. Um, and then all of a sudden they say, well, wait a minute. What's this mortgage that you have on ABC Street? And you're like, well, oh, yeah. I just co-signed on that. That's That's my, you know. Uh, son's home I co-signed so him, my son and his uh, wife could buy a new home well you, people think of co-signing as oh I just co-signing so if you have a a friend, neighbor, relative brother, sister, uncle, son daughter and so on it's not really co-signing that's kind of really deceive people it's co-owning when you sign off on that loan, you now have partnership in that home. You just now own that home because you're on the loan with everyone else. But in this case, we're not going to say you really owe anything. So let's let's add that up. So let's say uh, you have uh, four fifty for a, um, a car. You have. $10,000 balance on a credit card, so you have $500 a month on that. You have student loans, so you have $150 a month on the student loans, and you pay $500 in child support or alimony. So your monthly uh, outgoing payments are $1,600 a month. Now, a lot of people say, well, hey, if I don't own a home, I'm renting. Well, yeah, renting isn't really a debt because when you buy a home, you don't rent. 
so they really don't count your rent against you because once you are done renting and buy a home, you're still not paying rent. So a lot of people will say, well, I, what about my rent? They, they don't really count that rent. Now, here's, here's another one um, that I always uh, tell people. Remember, always, always make sure that you don't have any other interests in other properties, such as maybe you're an investor, you you and your family got your money together and bought an investment property and you're sharing the rent, um, And uh, but you're a co-owner of that because so many people, they'll come in and they'll, if they're older people, they have investment properties uh, with friends and neighbors. They don't really, you know, remember that. And then it comes up on a credit report and they're like, what's these two, three loans on here? It looks like you, you own two or three properties. Like, oh, no, no, no. I'm just part owner in them. Well, if you've signed off on the loan and you're part owner on it, guess what? You're responsible for the loan and it just blows people out of the water. So I always tell people if you're part owner in, in other real estate, you're, you know that might really hurt you. Uh, another thing that people do is always tell the mortgage company if you own a home that you have to sell that home before you buy one. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people get into major trouble. Uh, and, and real estate agents really, really mislead people. They go, well, you know what we'll do? We're really going to make this easy on you. We're going to do a bridge loan and then you'll be able to buy your new home. You'll be able to move everything into your new home and then we'll be able to sell your all the home and then everything will be wonderful and they don't tell you this well if you buy a new home and you have a loan on your own home you're responsible for two loans and people don't say that on a bridge loan they just think oh well if I buy a, a, a my new home I have a loan on a new home and Guess what? For some crazy reason, the loan on your old home just slowly just disappears. No, you still have a loan on the other one, and you don't. You're responsible for that until you actually sell that home and pay off that loan. But mortgage companies and not mortgage companies, realtors say, "Oh, we can make it really convenient. We don't have to sell your old home." You know. Excuse me. We'll just um, find you a new home, and we can get a bridge loan, and then uh, you can move into your new home, and then we'll eventually sell your home. Well, you're still going to have to have payments on those homes until you sell it, and you have to qualify for both payments. So that's one thing they say about bridge loans, uh, which a lot of people, a lot of people, um, get kind of uh, misled on that. Now, if you have bankruptcies, if you have a Chapter 13 bankruptcy, and that's when they kind of reorganize and you pay those payments, and you've been paying for um, Chapter 13, you've been paying for 12 months, 
continuously, then you might be able to get a loan even if you have a bankruptcy. Now, if you just did a Chapter 7 where you just eliminated everything, they won't touch you for at least two to three, sometimes even seven years on a Chapter third, uh, a chapter uh, um, 7. Chapter 13, paying your payments continuously, no problem, no late pays, nothing. For 12 months, you have a pretty good chance of maybe getting another loan. Um, if you've had a foreclosure, FHA, VA, they're not going to touch you for at least three years. Conventional is usually sometimes seven. Um, if you have any judgments, you've got sued uh, for something, they have a judgment against you, you're going to have to pay that judgment off or, I don't know how you're going to pull this off, have the person who has the judgment uh, release it from the home that you're going to sell. Because if you have a judgment, they can actually put the judgment on the house that you're going to sell. Or what will happen, they can put the judgment on the new home. And then the mortgage company that you're going for will come in second position. And the person who has the judgment can start foreclosure procedure proceedings and the mortgage company is in second position so that will blow you out of the water if you have a judgment against you unless the the people release the judgment uh, against you but that's probably not going to happen so that's that's one thing that a lot of people will get um get caught up in is they got sued or something they have this judgment they try to buy a house and it's not going to happen another thing that uh, really kills people taxes you have a tax lien now I've actually sold a home that had a guy, the guy had a tax lien on it and he was going into foreclosure there was no equity at all he had no equity and they, the IRS wanted us to give him a settlement sheet from the title company. We did. There was no equity at all. As a matter of fact, the guy was taking a loss on the house. Uh, the mortgage company was doing a short pay, a uh, short sale. So the IRS just decided, this. <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> there's nothing here. And basically just released the lien on the house. Not on him, but on the house we were selling. The lien still went with him. So that's a, a tax lien on it. So let's let's look at kind of what you would actually kind of qualify in this situation. You, you've got $100,000 worth of income. We divide that by 12. So you're making $8,333 a month, which is a great tons of money. And you have a $450 car payment. You have a $500 a month credit card. You have a $150 school loan. You have alimony of $500. And that uh, gives you a gross income um, of six thousand 
$733. That's gross. Now, you might say, well, wow, great. Uh, I can go out and buy a uh, multi-million dollar house because <clears throat> I have $6,733 a month left uh, to buy a house. No, 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 no. doesn't work that way. On a lot of mortgages, they want a percentage of your monthly income. So in this case, we're going to just go FHA. Let's let's just go FHA to me, and let's go conventional. And they say the most you can um, buy is twenty nine percent. No, excuse me. Well, we'll just say twenty nine percent. Of your monthly gross income as a house payment. So let's say $100,000 divided by uh, 12, and we'll take 29% of that. So that means your payment without no debt is $2,416. That's the highest you can make. Because 29% of your monthly gross income is the most you can use to purchase a home. But remember you have debt. Okay? So, we'll take that $100,000 and we'll take 36% of that. That's called the bottom ratio. So, we have... $100,000, $100,000, we take 36% of that. Um, that means that we have $64,000 to work with because they say you can't uh, exceed more than 36% of your monthly debt. So... If you take the $100,000, okay, let's do this, and you take 36%, that means $36,000 a year is your monthly uh, debt. So let's take $36,000 a year and we divide it by 12. That means that your monthly debt cannot exceed more than uh, $3,000 a month. So, let's say, remember we have the the um, the uh, expenses. We had 454 a car. We had $500 for um, credit cards. We had uh, $150 for school loans. And we had uh, $500 for child support. So we had $1,600 in a month, right? So if you take the $3,000 a month and you say, and you subtract it by $1,600, that means we can only qualify for $1,400 for an entire payment because they look at the the least amount. If Remember when you said $100,000 and we took 29% of 120 of 29,000 uh, no, we, uh, we took 29% of 
of the $100,000 and then we divided it and that was your um, minimum monthly payment. That's if you had no debt at all. But you, in this case, you do have debt. So uh, you have three thousand. While you had uh, uh, sixteen hundred dollars in debt, so you have to take sixteen hundred dollars and subtract it by three thousand, and then you only have fourteen hundred dollars left, and that's your month, your maximum monthly payment. Now I know that was really confusing. Uh, hopefully you follow that. Uh, that's exactly how a mortgage company will qualify you. So it's not your gross income, it's your net income after um, most of your expenses. And then you take 29% of your monthly gross income, monthly gross income, and that's the highest house payment you could get. But then if you have your debt, you take your monthly gross income, you take 36% of that monthly gross income. Out of that 36%, you start deducting all your bills, your car payment, your visa, your massacre, your school loan. And what you have left is the maximum monthly house payment that you can qualify for. So hopefully that kind of makes a lot of sense. So I wish you luck. Uh, Go back and review this because it is kind of confusing. I've been in real estate for quite some time and trust me, it even still confuses me. And But when you do qualify for a home, at least you kind of know what they're looking for. Some of the snags, some of the um, do's and don'ts of getting a home mortgage. If you're self-employed, what you need. If you're regularly employed, what you're going to need. If you're just graduating with a degree, what you're going to need. So I hopefully this really kind of focused you on how to qualify for a home loan. Again, thank you very much. I am JD. This is 5050 Real Estate Podcast for the Common Man. Have a good one, guys. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed the show, Real Estate for the Common Man. Please follow us or subscribe. Tell your friends, neighbors, relatives, and coworkers about us. We're on all your major podcast apps, Amazon, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and iTunes. If you can't remember all that, just Google it or have your friends Google Real Estate for the Common Man and it will come up. Again, we thank you very much for your time and hopefully you enjoyed the show. Hey, if you live in Colorado Springs and want to buy or sell a home, you can look us up at soldrealestatecompany.com as in I sold a home. Again, thank you very much. Have a very good week and we'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.